Today's episode of the City Smack Podcast is brought to you by The Price of a Mile with Woody Kincaid. Let me tell you a little bit about this podcast because it's actually one of my favorites, and it just so happens to be another one that's within the City Smack network. So this one's hosted by Bowerman Track Club rookie, former Portland pilot, first-year professional, Woody Kincaid, as he tries to get to know some of his training partners. Just so happens that he's on the Bowerman Track Club, which is one of the best U.S. distance running clubs in the country. So every month, he gets one of his training partners, sits him down, and it's incredible to hear how he gets them to open up about how they got into running, how they found success, how they've been able to manage success, the ups and downs of their careers. So he's had Evan Jager on, he's had Shelby Houlihan on. Check it out yourself. Subscribe on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. Latest episode went up last week with Chris Derrick, and it's a really good listen. The Price of a Mile with Woody Kincaid. Check it out. My guest for today's show is another Sidious Mag writer, back-to-back episodes with staff members. He used to run at Columbia. You've probably laughed and read a lot of his articles. It's Paul Snyder. Let's start the show. Welcome to the latest episode of the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez, and as I've said before on previous episodes, you guys are going to get an interview with an athlete most weeks, and then I'll throw in a bonus episode maybe at the end of the week with someone else who's interesting within the running world. Uh, this month, I figured it'd be pretty cool for the listeners to get to know some of the other writers at Sidious Mag. So for this episode, I'm joined by Paul Snyder, who's one of the most regular, I guess, contributors and... Uh, written a lot for the site in its first six months. So, Paul, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thanks for having me on here. Um, it's the least you could do after staying with me for a week here in Flagstaff. Um, excited to make my podcast debut where I'm not with Steven. Yeah, that's right. We, you've done episodes. You guys might recognize The Voice because he's done episodes of The Voicemail Show, uh, but he also has his own podcast on the Cedis Network. It's DFL with Paul and Steven. Uh, it's going to get going again pretty soon. We're still trying to figure out, I guess, what the plan is going to be going forward. But um, it's fun for sure. Uh, so, Paul, I'm out here training for 10 days, just having a little bit of fun in Flagstaff, mixing it up. How did you end up here? Uh, I'm here because my girlfriend, Jean, who also contributes to Cedis, is in grad school at NAU. She's getting her... Masters of Fine Arts, uh, MFA program to you in the know, uh, in creative writing, uh, appropriately enough. So for you, being out here, it's a little different because you're not a pro runner. You used to run in college. How much is running still, I guess, a part of your daily routine out here? Uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's strange being like the only sort of non-ambitious uh, athlete type person here. Like everyone's life in Flagstaff, like... And when I say everyone, I mean like a very niche subset of people who I know just by virtue of being sort of like an extension of the running community. Uh, so it's weird being someone who just doesn't care at all about their own training in any way anymore. Uh, like basically I peaked athletically when I was 20 years old, when I was a sophomore in college. And then every subsequent year since then, I've gotten slightly worse at sports. So um, I still run from time to time, but I try to... Uh, mix it up and play some some very mediocre pickup basketball and you know do some yoga uh, things like that on top of uh, errant spells of jogging when I have a race that I've been duped into signing up for. So when you made that change uh, into not having running be 
such a big part of your day-to-day routine. How different was it, I guess, from those years where you might have been pushing yourself in high school and in college? Uh, it's pretty different. I mean, I think I experienced something I'm sure a lot of former collegiate athletes experience, which is sort of like this sensation of you're, you're spinning your wheels uh, for a little bit, where you are so accustomed to the experience of training at a high level and working toward a concrete and very tangible goal. Uh, that when that sort of infrastructure is stripped away, you find yourself not knowing what else to do, but continue to do that. Uh, so maybe for the first five or six months out of college, I still ran quite a bit. I uh, just didn't sign up for any races. And then I realized like, oh, what the hell am I doing? Like, I don't need to do this. Uh, I don't need to be, you know, running 70 miles a week and like going to sleep really early and making sure I'm, you know, still depriving myself of life's simple pleasures that I had, you know, not allowed myself for the last eight years. Um, so yeah, it it took some time to even allow myself to make that adjustment. But then once it was there, it's been relatively enjoyable. Yeah. Amar had a similar experience and you guys can listen to his episode. He'll post before this one, uh, where he was just going even harder, I guess, than you guys at Columbia were because he was, you know, a part of Colorado. What was the culture like at Columbia? Uh, I think it was pretty good. Um, when we, when my class first showed up, things were, kind of like at a turning point uh and I mean I he probably won't listen to this but if he does like it sucks to have to like say something nice about him but uh it's like basically Kyle kind of was a huge uh cap- catalyst and things getting better um not that the team was ever like completely woeful like in terms of uh northeast distance running I think Columbia was never in the conversation to make nationals but was never going to be like a complete joke of a squad um, but then when Merber got there, he had a class ahead of him that had a lot of talent and Merber's sort of like seriousness, uh, made the team a little bit more serious in turn. Uh, I mean, I picked it mostly because, uh, like I really liked the team culture when I shipped, like on my visit, I, we didn't leave campus. I don't think once, which that kind of sucks just cause it's New York city. So you'd like to be able to experience things. But it just reminded me of like a Seinfeld episode in terms of the way, not just the physical landscape, but the way people interacted, uh, just sort of uh, irreverent and goofy. And I thought that was, uh, you know, pretty nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a good experience. I think I probably ran about as well as I ever was going to. I think I could have gone to, you know, a school like Colorado and run no faster and probably gotten hurt even more. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy with it made some great friends. So so you mentioned Merber getting there. We're not going to talk too much about Merber on, <laughs> on this episode. Uh, so when he got there as a freshman, how serious was he right away? And how did the seniors, I guess, kind of take to, to that? Uh, that's funny. It's a good question. Um, well, he was... So there's like a, obviously a ton of Merber content floating around the internet, uh, including like a funny interview with him when he's like, he seems like he's eight years old, but he hit puberty when he was like 17. So I think he's like maybe a freshman in high school in that video where he's like talking about the value of education and his, his whole family's from New York, like the area. So he really like was pretty dead set on staying close by. And he's, I guess when he was looking into colleges, he saw Columbia had some potential to kind of turn things around and become a more serious program. Uh, and then, like I said, he was a late bloomer physically in high school. So uh, he was always taking running seriously it seems like from what I've talked to him about but then his like junior senior year he started kind of becoming more competitive locally he won a few 
big by New York City standard races in the armory and stuff. And then I guess his senior year, he was actually like somewhat of a contender at like Nike Mile Outdoor uh, shit. So when he showed up, he had that sort of mindset of having been a really good high school athlete that he wanted to continue. Uh, the older guys in the team maybe were a little bit, uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this, but more okay with being like good, not great college athletes and having a more well-rounded, pretty like uh, raucous experience. So like, I think the drinking was maybe a little bit more of a thing pre-Merber and then post-Merber that was sort of tamped down on a little bit. So I think they kind of were like, oh, who the hell is this guy? Who does he think he is? He still looks like he's a toddler. Uh, but he's really good at this, so I guess we'll like sort of tolerate him at first, and then they got to know him and realized he's a great guy as well, and things sort of, from what I've heard, you know, studied out from there a little bit. But yeah, I think there was like some sort of uh, early stage confrontational period that was uh, is now looked back on uh, fondly and kind of humorously. Who are some of the other guys that you were pretty close with on that team, and I guess how close are you guys now? Yeah, so I'll just stick to the people who, like any listener, would probably uh, know of. So, uh, Johnny Gregoric, who just yesterday finished, what was it, like 10th in the world? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of my best friends from college. I would go to his house in Seekonk, Massachusetts, which is basically Rhode Island, uh, for Thanksgiving every year, and that was great. His family's wonderful, wonderful people, and Johnny's one of the funniest, most strange people I've ever met. Uh, Brendan Martin is another Long Island guy who's the most enthusiastically pro-Long Island person I've ever met. And that was, you know, I didn't know what Long Island was. <laughs> then I got there and just hearing it constantly be talked up was like kind of cool. Now I really like Long Island for no reason as well. But he, I think, got like 20th at the Olympic trials in the marathon. Um, by the way, like people running at a high level after on our team was not that common. So like those are the three guys who are still running and still running well. Um, and if, for all my fans out there, the real main shout out, Eric Fanning and uh, and Binghamton University Film Department. Uh, Mark Feigen, who was uh, the sort of lovable asshole on that video, is, <laughs> uh, is also a very, very dear friend of mine and is, you know, more lovable and less of an asshole today than ever. So, you know. But yeah, I would say I probably talked to at least one or two guys on the phone once or twice a week. So it's, uh, we got really close. We weren't the best students collectively. We probably could have done a better job of like integrating ourselves more into the school atmosphere and like socially being more open-minded in terms of like having friends who weren't exclusively on the team. But I think everyone was just so like locked in and focused and got along well to where we didn't feel the need to necessarily like expand our horizons too much, as bad as that sounds. When the real main was like filming, was that open to, for you to also come along or how did, what was that process like there? I mean, and then afterwards when you guys see it and then all of a sudden there's just eyes on, you know, <laughs> Feigen and, and Merber and Derek, you know, at their respective, you know, colleges, it seems like that spurred a little bit of the cult following that someone like Merber has. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know how it originated. I guess like Mark had planned on training with Kyle that summer, uh, Kyle had planned on training with like Riley that summer and he and Eric had been going to this youth camp together for years. So those guys just kind of had like a de facto combination and a fun Chris Derek fact that is not well understood is that he, I think he was actually born in Albany and has family out on the island. And he's, so he's, he's got some New York in him. And so he was sort of grandfathered in as well. Uh, plus he had the star power. So I think they were like, Oh yeah, obviously like, you'll be here for a week. We'll make it seem like it was way longer. Uh, as for the movie itself, I never saw it. I don't think, 
but just because like I don't know I always feel weird like watching or listening to things my friends are in because I get like nervous for them even though like in that case it's like a movie about summer training so the stakes like, <laughs> literally couldn't be any lower um and then let's see in terms of like yeah the the fallout or I guess it's like fallout's a negative phrase so like the reception it was generally favorable I would say uh and we'd be running in Central Park and kids from your uh alma mater uh, Xavier <laughs> High School shout out uh Nick Karam oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick uh who I later got to know when I was coaching at NYU for a semester uh is this really tall affable goofy kid from <laughs> really from that's the best way of putting school. it yeah <laughs> but he would just sort of like in the way that petulant high schoolers are want to do like yell at mark when he would run past him in central park He'd be like hey mark feigen real man <laughs> and i don't think mark really like appreciated it which is like completely understandable and i don't know if they've ever met in real life but uh i'd say that's like my experience uh with the real man <laughs> uh you mentioned being nervous for some of these friends of yours who are running at such a high level this past week, Johnny, what was that like for you to watch the race? I mean, just you were at the U.S. Championships as well. So take us through how different it was there. I mean, had it ever gotten to that level? Obviously, Johnny and people like Kyle have been running at such a high level for a couple years now. But to see him, one, make a national team and then finally in a USA kit, what was that kind of like for you to, to see, I guess, his hard work pay off? Yeah, I mean, at USA's, I think that was like probably the most nervous and simultaneously excited ever ever been for a race like in terms of uh, being a spectator and you were tweeting the entire time <laughs> well I, I left like halfway through the race I was like, fuck that i gotta go cheer on johnny but uh, <laughs> for whatever reason just like the way johnny runs because it's like so erratic and like you don't think he's gonna do well because he just like has like a really strong first quarter of the race and then he seems to be like kind of struggling but he has like the best like the worst second to last 50 than the best last 50 of anyone in the game it makes it pretty like interesting. So even in college, I remember like if I would have a bad race, I would at this point he was still steepling. I'd make a point to go back and like cheer him on because it was always pretty like interesting to see and usually very exciting because um, he is just such like a good competitor and obviously is super talented. Um, so he was all, I think as far as teammates go, he's probably my favorite one to watch in college too. So it just kind of is coincidental that he's running really well now. But at USA's, yeah, we were like up in the press box and you're supposed to maintain like <laughs> you know. It's like track media, so like I don't think anyone's ever gonna say anything. There's like four really old people in the box who like bring you lunches like the first day on accident because it's meant to go somewhere else. But like their senility disrupts their their thinking, and they're not gonna obviously kick you out if you're like yelling for a friend. It's just kind of frowned upon. So I was like standing up, like very nervous, and like Ryan was next to me, and I think I kind of like got him nervous too. And then in the final, Johnny was like, you know, looking really good early, and I was like, okay, he's gonna do well, he's gonna make it, and then like midway through the race I was like oh shit no he's not and then with like the last 300 to go I saw him swing wide and I was just like I couldn't like really speak or like articulate I think I was just kind of like making like yipping <laughs> sounds like what Kramer does in Seinfeld when he sees uh, Joe DiMaggio <laughs> yeah 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 at, at Dinky's Donuts so I was doing that and then I saw him like finish third or I thought was third and I was at that point just like pacing up and down the room people were looking at me and like I think he got third and I was like okay that's why them saying like you should get out of here. <laughs> so I went down there and waited for him, waited for him by the mix zone and got to see him afterwards. Um, that's definitely the most nervous I was at any point during his postseason here. But then uh, for Worlds, I was sort of like, oh, it's just cool he made it. Like it's really awesome. Uh, the fact that he made the final was obviously sweet. Uh, I was driving with Jean and her friend and her boyfriend to uh, like Falmouth, Massachusetts this weekend 
like to go to a wedding on the cave and we had to pull over for, to go to the bathroom at McDonald's. So I watched Johnny's race from my phone in like a McDonald's parking lot on <laughs> Cape Cod. And uh, yeah, really awesome. Really proud to see him, you know, continue to have, like most importantly, have fun with it. Cause like there are people who continue to toil away and people like to think that's like super noble and maybe it is, but like at the end of the day, I feel like you're doing it for yourself. So if you're not having fun, what's the point? Johnny's having fun. To me, that's like the coolest part of it. Even after all of that, that still, I guess, doesn't get the competitive juices going for you? Ah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, like, in college, I literally had, I would say, four of my five best races occurred in, like, a two-month window when I was 20 years old. Um, So I had two years of college where I was questioning and doubting things and sort of had, had, had tempered myself down a little bit with more realistic expectations for what my frail, crappy body was capable of. <laughs> uh, and then I also look at people who try to balance, you know, work or grad school with running at a really high level. And I feel like I just couldn't do that. I enjoy like going out and seeing a concert or like having a beer with a friend or like playing an aggressive game of pickup basketball. And like, you can't really do any of those things if you're running 70 miles a week and yeah, just I don't think I'll ever do that again. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted, but I'm 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 beyond that at this point. What did uh you mention that sophomore year, I guess, of college where you felt like that was the strongest year of, of your career? Uh what were some of those races I guess that really stood out to you? Um I guess I'll kind of just be sort of self aggrandizing here and walk you through a little more like little, little uh, backstory here. So high school, I think I had a pretty steady progression. I never really knew what it was like to stall out. So I like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I would pretty consistently take off like 30 seconds in the two mile every time. And that was great. Cause I was like, even if things training was going, I didn't really have any sort of pulse on training. I figured if I continued to run it really to any extent, I would just continue to get better. So by the time I graduated, I'd run like nine, 10 or something and was one of the maybe faster, like perspective recruits coming in uh for that distance at least like definitely not for the mile we had a really good class my year um but I expected to kind of have a similar thing in college where I you know would see a pretty substantial improvement right off the bat because I wasn't su- training super hard in high school and then college would come around and then I'd up my mileage and I'd have one of those you know breakout seasons you hear about uh but then instead I showed up to school and then just realized like uh, the reason why I was running well in high school is because I was never like overexerted I never had anybody really pushing me in workouts or anything I was always within myself and the first workout of the first year of college like oh that was harder than anything I've ever done in my life so (laughs) just was exhausted for a year and ran like shit um but still was like super into it It was like sort of nervous that maybe I had peaked already but was also pretty like keen on still you know doing the whole just keep grinding thing and hopefully it would work out and uh so sophomore like fall, I came back and was in really good shape and was like finally like getting a swing of workouts, but basically I had like just overdone it over the summer and had like, I think I had like the team record for lowest uh, iron count, like male or female. So like I just like wow. was like visibly gray in workouts by the like end of cross country and like had to just basically take some time off to allow my blood to like recoagulate. <laughs> um, so after that, I was a little bit like discouraged, but I think all the training I had done that summer was still in my system. I just wasn't able to tap into it because I had no, literally no oxygen was able to move through my body because I had like full red blood cells. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like the kind of the story of my college career is like we, stupid things that were very preventable. Like, oh, if I had just taken iron pills and maybe had like an extra hamburger here and there, I would be fine, but whatever. It's like, it happened. Uh, so then indoor season, start feeling like I'm actually racing pretty well. Um, and... 
then I like just got really bad food poisoning from eating like, <laughs> like a, a, either like just didn't wash my hands or ha- I think it may have been an Ethiopian meal. Oh at, like, wow! Ethiopian restaurant by I was gonna say like a halal trap by Colombia or something. Like those that. I've actually never had a bad experience. With. <laughs> those are there's some good ones up there too. Like some of the better ones in the city. Uh, by the way, the best halal cart in New York is across the street from the Armory. Um, but so yeah, like I was like, oh shit! Like I was finally hitting my swimming things. And then, but that didn't really set me back for too much. So then, like I think I ran like the 3k conference in PR and ran like 814 and was just out of placing. And I was like, okay, cool. That's actually like the first result I can point to so far in college and think like there's like a noticeable step. There's like my 20 seconds from high school or whatever. This is actually maybe going to work out. And so I was way more like confident going forward. And then for outdoor, um, obviously like I realized I can't run the mile anymore because I just don't have the foot speed for it. Like the coaches knew I was like, very frail so they're pretty keen on not making me do the 10 so I just focused on the five and that was fortunate because that's the only race I was ever actually anyway like above average at um so like I ran Stanford 5k and I think I was in the same heat as like a very young Eric Jenkins <laughs> who I lost to but Callum Hawkins who got like yeah what like fourth of the Olympic eighth of the Olympics or something fourth in the or uh, well just now fourth in the marathon trials. yeah I, I beat his ass <laughs> in like a very low stakes fourth heat of the 5k at stanford until um it, yeah it was a good day uh, i didn't know who he was and i looked back at the results because i thought the name seemed familiar and i was like oh shit like that's the in terms of transitive property that's like that's my guy yeah <laughs> um, and then so then i was feeling better i think i ran like like maybe 14 20 or something there and then we we always would try to race as close to new york city as possible and i was always kind of thought that was cool i just thought it was silly to have to travel across the country to do something you can do 90 minutes away and then be in front of your friends and get like a good sandwich after like Hoagie Haven. I'm not sure if you've had that. I haven't had it. For uh, you guys listening out there, um, <laughs> Hoagie Haven is a, a sandwich shop. I think it's probably been like some a place that Guy Fieri's like fisted a sandwich at. And <laughs> they have these like giant, you get a full loaf of French bread and some guy just carves it out and they put in like gyro meat and chicken fingers Sounds and mod sticks. And it's, yeah, it's really bad. For you, but it tastes great and after a race you feel like you've earned it even though you're probably like just further causing irreparable damage to your heart after basically like subjecting it's like a fight or flight response moments earlier which i'm sure is bad for you in the long run uh so that's that was the perfect ad read so if you use promo code <laughs> snyder you get 10 10 off your next order at hoagie haven it's cash only so uh, <laughs> don't forget that but anyway so like really long rambling thing is there's just like basically what i would consider for me the perfect night uh, for my running life, which was, I don't know, it was a little called Larry Ellis Invitational. Yep. I was in the same heat as Cesarek <laughs> when he was the sophomore in high school. <laughs> and like some guy who had just won like the previous year D2 national champions in the ten, five or 10 or something from like American International. It's a lot of, that's how like the meets are in, at Princeton. It's like a pretty ragtag thing. Yeah. You might have a few Syracuse guys, you might have a few like guys from more like recognizable schools, but for the most part, you're going to be racing. Uh, the best guy from like schools you've never heard of who happens to be like good enough to challenge you, which is sweet. That's, you know, that's kind of what I was all about. Um, and so I ran 1407 there. Um, and I was like closing on Chez with the last hundred meters. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. Like I'm going to beat this high school kid, but he, you know, didn't happen. But, um, <laughs> and then after that, that just so far exceeded like anything I thought I was capable of in high school. So I was sort of like, Oh, like, okay, what's now? Uh, ran regionals but just didn't really care like qualifying was all I was really interested in and then after that I think I just kind of had become uh a head case more or less like okay like 
Oh, nice. The only thing that matters now is breaking 14. Like, that'll be easy. That 1407 wasn't that hard. And then obviously, like, when you get that mentality, you're fucked. Um, as soon as you start thinking things are going to be easy in a sport, that's, like, very definition yeah. is misery. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just spent the next two years, like, getting hurt, getting sick, overthinking things, making myself sick with worry over, like, this activity that's supposed to be fun and found myself, like, finding enjoyment increasingly, like, outside of running. Well, like, I still, enjoy, like, love being on the team. I still, like, enjoyed most of, the, like, the daily minutia of training and stuff. But uh, more and more I found myself, like, happy when I was out, like, exploring the city with my friends or, like, going to a concert or something. Um, and so I think that sort of spelled the beginning of the end when I realized there's, like, a whole other world out there. Because <laughs> um, for someone like me, I kind of needed to have that sort of single-headed approach. And once I lost that, I lost my edge. And it was, you know all downhill from there and continues to be to this point. <laughs> so you, you mentioned it very briefly uh, where when you mentioned to Karim for a second there, you had a little coaching stint at at NYU. Uh, how did that come about? And I guess what made you wanted to, you know, just dip your toes into coaching for a little bit? Yeah, no, that was really fun. If, uh, if any coaches for, uh, you know, D2, D3 schools in New York City, I'm looking at you, St. Francis College, do you have any <laughs> full-time slots opening up? you know, Chris can get you in touch with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so after I graduated, I lived in Austin for a little bit and was working at this shitty startup that I hated and then had like a rough breakup and a, honestly probably like a nervous breakdown more or less. And I was like, got to get out of here. So I went on a, like a nice little road trip with a buddy to clear my head and wound up in Seattle where my best friend from high school was living. And I was like slept on his floor for eight months wow. and, you know, applied for a lot of jobs but if your only experience experience on your resume is like a three month stint at a startup no one's heard of, you look like you're like, you're like faking it. Like you look, this resume seems like completely fabricated. So I kept having a pretty hard time getting anything. And then one day, a friend of mine who I ran with at Columbia, who was working for Nike in New York, reached out and was like, "Hey, we need a copywriter for like this project we're working on. You know, New York, you know the city, you know the sport. You seemingly can write. Like, are you interested?" And I was at that point like pretty happy in Seattle. Like, really love the city. Um, but was thinking like, yeah, you know, it seems like a good opportunity. Um, I was like trying to sort of finagle it so I could just work from Seattle because I was so hesitant about leaving. Uh, but then my dad passed away pretty unexpectedly. So I had like another sort of like jolt of unexpected, like sorrow. And I was like, oh shit. Like, I, I mean, obviously I think at this point I realized I probably have just also had depression for most of my life. <laughs> um, so but hadn't quite like internalized how to deal with it. So in my head, like the only thing to do was just make another drastic life change. But this time it felt, it was actually a good one because I wanted back in the city where I had a ton of friends and a little bit more of like a structured supportive atmosphere um, to take the Nike job. Um, and when I told my former coach at Columbia, Will Boylan Pet, who at that point was the head coach at NYU that I was coming back, he was like, oh great, actually I, I'm going to need like an assistant coach for outdoor track more or less. Um, if you're interested, like I can, you know, try to like, help you get the job. Because the Nike thing was like 30 hours a week. So I had plenty of time. Um, and yeah, so I got the job and was it was great. Like I met some really awesome kids. It was fun to kind of be associated with the sport without having the whole like having my own psyche be constantly damaged. <laughs> I think I like was able to do a decent job of like kind of like understanding where these kids who were probably mostly too smart for their own good uh, were coming from before races when they seemed like really nervous and stuff. So I was able to sort of, I, I hope... Uh, you know, interact with them and communicate in like a, a fairly meaningful way that sort of took some pressure off and made it fun, but also, you know, it's it's good to, make, to take it seriously. Um, so find a balance there. And then 
the going into like the fall will left to take a job to use like a law degree he'd gotten like five years earlier that he'd just been kind of sitting on in his back pocket um so they just did like a little staff overhaul and I wasn't like so committed to coaching at that point that I was like ready to leave the city to find a new coaching job elsewhere sort of just more of mindset well I'm here I'm happy in New York I had just met Gene like things were going well like I think I'm just going to stay put and find something else to do but if it ever came up again I would probably you know especially NYU, that was just a great situation. Like, uh, it's a weird campus for anyone, <laughs> like, as you know. It's yeah. Like, there's not really, really a campus. It's just buildings that happen to be spread out all throughout the city. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they might just use the East River track for most of yeah. the workouts. That's the closest one in the city. We had the same problem at my high school because we're just a couple blocks down on 16th Street. We would have to run two miles to – get to the East River track, do the workouts there, or sometimes go to Icon, sometimes go, and in the wintertime, go to the Armory. So it's really interesting to see sometimes successful performances come out of a high school in Manhattan where you don't have these easy resources. But Definitely. Um, yeah, NYU's definitely got an interesting situation. Uh, I'm from suburban San Antonio, which, you know, every school has its own track there. Yeah. So everything is just very much more self-contained there. It's all very master-planned and kind of soulless and awful, so to be able to be a part of a program like NYU's that was extremely like ragtag and sort of had to really rely heavily on like the built environment. I thought that was so cool. So I could definitely see why those kids like chose to go there and run and stuff. You know, you know, they all do pretty well. The Nike job, was that one of the first instances where you started getting into to writing or did, was it, was there time before that where you felt that, you know, you could write about track or just running in general? Uh, I actually, uh, like so many uh, folks on Sidious, I think yourself included, had a brief. Uh, I think you were paid. I was, I was an unpaid, right. unpaid intern with uh, the now defunct Flow Trail website, which is <laughs> Flow Track's uh, ill-fated foray into the world of ultra running, uh, which they for a three, two or three month window, like just I ran that site as like an <laughs> unpaid internship. Uh, with like basically zero guidance and no understanding of the sport that I was supposed to be covering. So that was the first time I wrote about running. Um, but I think I also wrote a few things for flow track while I was there. And that's more or less like why my buddy knew I was able to at least, you know, cobble a few words together. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I was ever paid for any sort of writing, um, which was nice. Like copywriting is, if you guys don't know what that is, it's what Elaine does in Seinfeld for Mr. Peterman. We're at three Seinfeld references. I think there's going to be an over under by the end of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, like 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 so many white men of my generation, I'm completely unoriginal and have to rely on Seinfeld <laughs> to express myself. So yeah, um, that was yeah that was that's basically it was just like an opportunity to because I, I wouldn't say it's in any way creatively fulfilling. It's just like right. it's somewhat enjoyable in the sense that it's like almost like writing with a problem solving bent to it. Cause you have to sort of emulate uh, whatever voice the brand is hoping to convey. And in Nike's case, it's like super like kind of lame and like three words like that's all you can use and like they have to be very like serious and make you want to go run really fast for no reason anyway after that you did a little bit of writing here and there with the the daily relay actually i think that's how i came across uh some of your bylines of course i do of you from before and at flow track and just through you know friends the, uh, the new york running community baby yeah exactly uh so you did a couple pieces for the daily relay uh some of them were profiles i think uh, you had one on Brendan, right? Oh, that was Kyle who did that one. Oh, yeah. okay. It all comes back to Kyle. Yeah, he did <laughs> but that. You did one on Carl. Yeah. And I was just writing about my friends. So it was really like, 
low level investigative stakes. But it was some sort of profile writing. Is that, I guess, what you kind of like is when you can dedicate some time to to writing about running, or is it? I mean, we do a lot of humor stuff, definitely on our site. Uh, what what is, I guess, your your preferences on things? Um, really, whatever. I think more so than stylized, care about certain topics way more than others. And there's some things in the sport. Uh, that I find completely uninteresting and will never care to write about or read about. And if I see someone like post a Mofar article, I'll just like, promptly <laughs> ignore it. Like there was one of the ringers today, yeah. which is really cool like for the, the sport because obviously that's like a influential sports and culture website. And here's this guy who, you know, people in our, you know, sports circle obviously care a lot about who's now on the front page of their website, but I just don't give a shit about him. He's like, <laughs> he's not interesting. He's everything's been said already. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't care about the guy who wins all the time. It's not, cool or funny or like usually that fascinating like even if they have a somewhat like you know neat come from behind story to where they got to the top it's like i'd rather hear about the person uh struggling to make things work or who has like a weird hobby or a funny quirk or something um and that's like just in profile writing otherwise like humor is way easier to write because you can just completely bullshit and make things (laughs) up there's no reason to be factually correct it's all speculative (laughs) but yeah i think really anything's pretty enjoyable like as long like so thanks for giving us a pretty free reign to write about what we, what we, what we see fit. <laughs> no, no problem. It's uh, pretty much what we wanted to do with the site, was just have something off the wall, a different type of voice within the sport. Uh, first, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. So speaking of humor, uh, some of our listeners might be aware that we've been, uh, you know, at one point maybe beating to death a little bit, but we've, we've backed off somewhat, uh, promoting something called the Blue Jean Mud. <laughs> Uh, we recently were featured in uh, Competitors Running Magazine, which is... As the, well as, like, Canadian Running Magazine. We're getting some press clips, folks. <laughs> uh, and we're going to take this opportunity... SB Nation, yeah. We're, yeah, we're making it big. So, Chris, uh, on the topic of the Blue Jean Mile... Yeah. When does it fucking end? Yeah. What's the deal with it? Yeah, so we... The first piece we ever published about the Blue Jean Mile was back in March. And that was... You just kind of being like we need a new gimmick we had a couple articles i think maybe that same week where it was like track and field needs uh you know celebrity more celebrity fans track and field uh it was just a bunch of different ways of trying to get it more popular which i think i'm of the mindset it's like whatever audience we have within the sport it's like that might be it and i think maybe we should stop trying to to really you know try and make it popular try and make it popular it's what we have is what we have we're a niche sport let's embrace it and yeah. uh we're saturated we're not getting we're not going to bleed through to many more people at this point like, exactly it, we're not mma like people like to talk about the fight or fly sports fight's just more interesting to watch yeah and a lot of people i guess make the the argument that back in the 70s you know the NBA games were run a certain way and if you watched an NBA game from the 70s it looks nothing like what it does now as and on the contrary track and field meets run in the 70s look a lot a lot of the same uh, with what they look like now, and so it was like we were probably never able to make that uh, that jump in terms Which, of. Obviously, we should have just wore longer shorts and made people get more muscular <laughs> through HGH. Yeah. Should have made all all drugs illegal, and all <laughs> clothing baggier. So that's that's an easy answer. So yeah, we we maybe just missed the boat, and like I don't know if like we're so far behind that I don't know if there is enough time or or ideas for us to to catch up at this point. So. Yeah, let's embrace being a, a sea level sport, but let's also have fun. And so I guess that was one idea that we had with the Blue Jeans Mile in March was we need a new gimmick. The beer mile got a little too big, I think, in recent years where um, I just felt like it was just being shoved down people's throats a little bit too much. And uh, yeah, we just kind of came up with the idea that 
people run in blue jeans all the time without even knowing it. So we didn't think anyone would ever do it. (laughs) And that's why the prize money got up to $1,200 where the first, we said the first person to break four minutes for the mile and a pair of hundred percent denim blue jeans would get to claim that prize. And first person ran 444. We thought our money was safe. Then eventually it starts to get popular in July and now the world record is down to 411. And I thought it was 416. Well, it's 416, but the altitude conversion. Oh, which we're not, promised. I'm not giving money for an altitude conversion. <laughs> right. So the the, the actual no, sub no four. No shots at those kids who make NCAAs running, you know, 15 flat for the 5K. <laughs> like, you guys have earned it. It's hard to do that, but I'm not going to pay you for it. You know? Yeah. So we might have to add a rule just to maybe even protect our money that the actual sub four has to be run at sea level. No altitude conversion for the sub four i mean you could break some you could run sub four at five thousand feet that's just way more impressive and difficult and you'll get paid for it but if you run 406 or whatever like yeah i don't care actually let's let's do that but yeah in in summary i think we're going to make this into a memorial to labor day type thing where the summer is your season to have some fun and do a blue jean smile our biggest fear and i think you mentioned it to me in in a message was that we're afraid that a d3 cross-country team is going to show up to their conference meet wearing blue jeans because they think it's going to be really funny. Which it would be. It would be. But, yeah, like, I don't but know. But we that's, shouldn't give you the attention that's, for that's, it. That's probably disrespectful to the coach. Unless, if the coach shines off on it, that's fine. But there's no monetary incentive. Just want to make that clear. I'm sure it would be some <laughs> sort of uh, violation of sorts. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're going to end it from – it'll be – it'll come back next May, and then it'll run again through uh, September – or. Through September first, I believe. Yeah, we haven't really discussed like an indoor season for it, but I don't someone know. did message us and asked us if we were going to be keeping a indoor list, and I think that's just one way too much work. And we want you guys to focus on your indoor season. Um, so, I, what has it been like for you to see this thing grow to this monster uh, within like we pretty much started a cult? It's yeah, it's weird. Uh, I don't know. I feel like. Yeah, I feel kind of like... Uh, because we both will never do one. I yeah, think. I'm not going to do one. <laughs> so honestly, like, if you've done one, like, I, that's great, but I don't understand why you did it. It seems like it'd be really unpleasant. Um, but then I also remember, like, in high school, I ran, like, a, a chocolate milk mile and, like, threw up a lot after, and I thought it was fun. Uh, and, and honestly, it was fun. So, you know, never mind. I'll quit, I'll quit bashing the thing that I made up. <laughs> um, but that said, who's the guy from the Beach Boys? Brian Wilson. Yeah. In some ways, I feel like Brian Wilson because (laughs) he made music that, you know, was supposed to be about, you know, playing grab ass with your boys, driving hot rodding around down by the (laughs) beach, uh, hollering at girls and just generally being, you know, a Southern California piece of shit. But before, like there was heavy drugs involved. Um, And somehow, some way, someone named Charles Manson took those lyrics and thought it meant he's supposed to kill somebody (laughs) or people and, you know, enlist like a group of, you know, followers. Like that's, I almost feel like Brian Wilson. It's like, yeah, this, this is an article. It's a joke. Like, I don't think people are going to do this. Like, it's like, you know, a tongue in cheek commentary on like the constant desire of like the sports media apparatus to make it more popular because it's like a self-serving thing because the more popular it is the more money the media makes um but in this case there's just like a joke more or less yeah it and, really was and i figured like maybe someone would try it would look really funny we should, we, that'd be it it's forgotten <laughs> i've you know never once in my wildest dreams thought i might actually have to pay money uh, at this point it'd be like great i'd be really happy to because like the stakes are obviously much lower it's not like it is charles manson it's like <laughs> it's like a nice a nice 15 year old kid who's 
you know, just trying to have a fun time on a Thursday night and, you know, maybe he doesn't have access to, like, a good movie theater or something. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good point, is that if it is a college kid who runs a four, they can't accept the prize money, so they're just going to be doing this for Is that true? Fun. I feel like there's probably... You can accept prize money up to a certain point now, I think. Okay. If it's, like, covering the cost uh, of, like... We'll, we'll, we'll clear it. We'll clear yeah, what yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, we'll have our clearinghouse touch base with uh, <laughs> compliances at various universities. Um, so the Blue Jean Smile is one of the biggest things that that you have done for Sidious that has blown up. The first thing that comes to mind is within our first week of being a website, you wrote a hypothetical article about presidents running a 5K while they're in office, their peak shape while in office, and just kind of the results and how they would fare. Malcolm Gladwell read it, retweet, tweeted it out, and um, it really, I guess, helped put us on the map as a as a little bit of a running website with humor and, and commentary and at the same time be serious. Uh, how did you get that idea? I have no idea. I was just, <laughs> I think... First, I think, first week, I had obviously way more ideas than I do right now because I was writing something every day. And um, like I said, I think during the summertime, I get somewhat depressed. <laughs> my, my, my brain slows down and kind of grinds to a halt. But in the wintertime, I'm usually much more uh, go, go, go. I have like a reverse seasonal affective disorder. So that week, I was just kind of firing a lot of cylinders. Like obviously, uh, like everyone, if you're, you know, Basically, everyone has to now care about politics. Like, it's no longer an option to kind of, like, disengage, um, even though that's, like, kind of shitty because everyone should have probably been paying attention the whole time because there are things that are happening now that have been happening forever and that are also terrible. Obviously, things are significantly worse in nearly every way now. So, basically, I was like, okay, well, how can I incorporate something that I know people are uh, passionate about? That's sort of a hot-button topic, which is presidents. President's Day was coming up. People seem to like to, you know put these people on a pedestal despite them all having been awful uh, like every single one of them is responsible for hundreds if not thousands of deaths with the exception of maybe jimmy carter um who just seems kind of like he was a nice guy but you know maybe a little ineffective so i was like okay well this is like the easiest thing in the world to like hypothesize about is just figure what would happen if they just ran a 5k that's an immediate uh connection to what we actually are covering and yeah, then I wrote it in like 35 minutes and sent it to you. And I think you like edited out some curse words and like, that was it. Um, and then when Gladwell started tweeting about it, I was like, oh, this is great. Like every single thing we write from here on out is going to get retweeted <laughs> by a uh, New York Times bestseller. We're all going to be millionaires. Uh, so it really set the bar like, for way me at least in a, in a way that cannot be touched. <laughs> like, you know, I haven't actually uh, heard from Gladwell since then, you know, uh, <laughs> I've had like uh, an offer to, or not an offer. I actually have. Will be ideally if, if my article makes it or chapter makes it. I'll have a a chapter in like a book that's supposed to be forthcoming that has like sport hypotheticals, and, and that came about because of that article and like it getting talked about on the podcast or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. I was like in New York when it came out, and then, then I had a friend text me like, "Hey, you're on the Bill Simmons podcast." <laughs> you talking? I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, it was a good, really great experience. I think probably mostly just because it got things off and running, and then we had a little momentum, and people seemed like they were, you know, excited to contribute and read, and kind of started tapping into like a more concrete audience at that point. Because when you started it, what, what, like, who was your target demographic? Who did you think you were going to try to like key into? Yeah, so I mean, there's, I guess that like 18 to 40 demographic. It was that really wide <laughs> of a range where, uh, but I think we really hit 
like the 15 to to 28 demographic i think that's what we've really hit on so far um it's not a bad thing i think we have a lot of high school eyes for sure judging by like who are the people who buying our silly shirts (laughs) and uh who like retweets articles and stuff and um at the same time like we do have a lot of readers who are you know division three division two guys and um so i don't know i mean like there's i've taken a lot of influence from uh guys like i guess you mentioned bill simmons uh starting his own website back with with espn what grantland used to be and i guess now the ringer with a little bit more off the wall pop culture and sports uh like that crossover um that's kind of what i was hoping for us to do with with with, uh, with running and um i think we're we're hitting it pretty pretty well right now, and it's only I guess gonna we're only six seven months old, so I think it's exciting to see. I didn't expect it to be growing this fast, and uh, it's exciting to see what we could do within a full year. We've got I've got kind of like page view and like uh, and like these targets in my head, but we'll see what we can do. I'm really happy with the the team that we've assembled, and especially your work that you've done uh, so far. And I guess cross-country season is, you know, going to come up pretty soon. And um, I was never really a big cross-country guy, but I guess we're going to come up with some more creative it's ideas. Fun, Chris. I know. People love cross-country. <laughs> the smell of freshly cut grass, leaves changing colors, coming back from summer break and seeing all your buddies looking tan and handsome. It's, <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, you could put together um, for that as well as uh, some of the other guys. Um, all right, so we'll wrap this up real quick. Let me ask you one last question before we do. Yeah. You don't have to say yes. Um, but, you know, for all those high-profile uh, influencers and uh, marketing marketing executives who are obviously listening to this podcast <laughs> to hear my really nasally voice, um, any, any sort of metrics, key, key figures you want to drop to someone who might be interested in, you know, a little bit of an advertising package with us? Oh, I mean, like, for sure. We're always open to having uh, more sponsors, at least on the website and uh, on the podcast, especially. We're going to have, a, I think, hopefully a deal coming through in uh, the next month. But for sure, um, if you are interested in getting the numbers behind the website and uh, possibly sponsoring the site, you can always email me. Yeah, we do have a deck. We have a plan. We have everything ready. So we're just kind of waiting to see. Uh, we should be reaching out to more people. Um, but yeah, just email me, chris at Um You could CC Paul on there too, so he can get on me to make sure I, <laughs> to make sure I close the deal. And, and also, also, if anyone out there thinks that they would be willing to you know, pony up a, a recurring small donation via Patreon, you can Google that website, see how you feel about it as like a financing mechanism, and let us know if that's something you'd like to see. Um, yeah, so we might even open a, a Venmo account for the site and just be like, hey, Venmo's open, let's make it happen, <laughs> um, stuff like that. We're going to be really creative, I guess, with how we monetize the site, and uh, I mean, for a lot of us, it isn't a full-time job, it's it's a hobby, but we want to make this something you know that lasts, and we definitely need uh, some support, I guess, from readers and listeners and, and just uh, general fans of the sport. Because um, yeah, it'd be great to be able to, like, toss a few bucks to people who give us cool articles, you know, like yeah, absolutely. get a nice little ecosystem going there. The, the city is family. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I end every show with two questions and I think you might know what they are. Uh, so the first one is if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with any person from history, assuming they could hold, you know, a conversational pace with you for that run, 
Who would it be, and where would this run be? Oof. This is always really hard. Uh, I'm just gonna. My answer is like every answer I've given is gonna be sprawling and probably <laughs> indecipherable. Um, I think these are really hard questions for me because the way that I approach meeting someone who I admire in real life, I know I handle it poorly. Like <laughs> if it's like someone who I think is really cool, and like it's like a musician or somebody who I have you know been listening to for a while, and like I see them in a show and I want to say thanks afterwards or whatever, I just go into this really horrible aloof persona where I feel like I'm, I have to like big time them almost like to not let them know that I'm completely, uh, you know, infatuated with their work or really inspired by them. I don't want them to know that for some reason. All right, Gladwell, sure. if you're listening, <laughs> hook along on my Paul will see you there, but he'll, he'll, he'll act like a big shot around. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ask who you are, even though I obviously know who you or whoever else will be is. Um, that said, I feel like I have to go down the ladder a little bit. In terms of like fame, because I feel like that factors into like even if it's not someone who I think is cool, if they're famous, I'll, I'll still kind of take on that thing. Like if I, when I was running in Central Park in college, we saw like Ed Norton like posing really? for a photo with some. It was when that year that those uh, warriors from I think like the Rift Valley ran the marathon okay. in traditional like garb. He was like posing with them, and it was like <laughs> I don't understand. But some of my teammates like stopped and said hello, and I was like, no, I'm not gonna say hi to Ed Norton. Like, <laughs> like fuck that guy. Even though he's like he seems like he's great. Um, so my answer would be uh, probably Patrick Stickles, who's the lead singer of uh, this band, Titus Andronicus. He seems like a pretty savvy, smart guy who's got a lot of interesting things to say, and his music is great. Um, and I would, I feel like in this hypothetical, since it's like all hypothetical, I'd also make myself handle the situation better. So like <laughs> the, the, the location is irrelevant. The person is Patrick Stickles. And instead of location, I'll improve my attitude. <laughs> That's good. I'll take that. Um, and then the last one has nothing to do with running. And you do seem to play a little bit of basketball. You get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you, you get $25 million. If you make none, you go to jail for 25 years. Do you attempt the shots? No. I'm like, I think it's crazy that anyone says yes to that. Like, <laughs> especially like the, the guests that we're getting. We're not, you're not interviewing John Wall. You know, no. you're, you're getting people who like Molly Huddle has said yes. See, I think that's honestly probably what separates people who are successful from people like <laughs> me who just kind of flounder through life is the ability to sort of bullheadedly to say, I can do this. Whereas like, yeah, if I shoot 25 half court shots, I think I honestly probably would make one. Like I've done this before. Like if I shoot free throws, I usually go like eight or nine for 10 take a step back of three, the percentage drops, but it's still, things go in. And then at half court, are we talking NBA half court or college or like or like a rec, rec center? I could do a rec center. Okay. Then yeah, I would 100% make one, but I'm still going to say no because I would, there's always a chance you don't and jail <laughs> sucks, you know? Like, also, it's crazy that the people who have been saying yes, like, they would get eaten alive in prison. Like, they all weigh like 130 pounds. They're tiny people, very, very minuscule. They would be destroyed. So I'm saying no. And I encourage any future guests to also say no and to think about this seriously because jail isn't a joke. There you have it. Uh, Paul, this is an honor and a pleasure. Um, Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, we'll catch you probably another time. We'll have you on you know, as a regular guest, maybe when you write uh, something really cool that people want to hear from you from. Cool. Appreciate it. That interview was brought to you by The Price of a Mile with Woody Kincaid. Be sure to subscribe to that podcast on iTunes. They had an episode where they just sit down and talk, share some hot takes about the World Championships in London. Some pretty good stuff there. Some great insight by the likes of Andrew Bumbleau and Chris Derrick. Um, so that does it for this week's episode. We're going to get back on the grind with more athlete interviews coming up pretty soon. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five-star review. And let me know who you want to get on the show. 
I can pull a couple strings. Tweet at me, at Chris Chavez or at Sidious Mag, and I'll make it happen. This has been your host, wishing you happy and healthy running.